Well, good morning, and thank you for joining us here today at STSA Church Online. We're excited that you're here. We are in part two of a series called After the Resurrection. And in this series, we're looking at the sacraments of the church, and we're looking at why they're so essential and what we gain through them. Now, if you missed part one last week, let me strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you to make sure that you check out that, that message. Because it's there really that we laid the foundation of what the sacraments are and why they're so essential and really the connection between the sacraments and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we talked about how because Jesus is risen, he is still working today, okay, because he is alive and he is in the church today, he is working. And the sacraments are the means by which he does his work, okay? And we looked at this verse here from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 said that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. You see, for us, the sacraments are more than just rituals. Sacraments are more than just prayers. They're more than just routines that we go through. Any relationship. The goal of any relationship is not just knowledge about the other person. The goal is shared life. Okay, so the goal of, of, of a marriage is not just two people who know everything about the other person but two people who share life, two become one. That's the goal of friendship. That's the goal of parents with kids and kids with parents. Not just that we provide and not just that we put a roof over their, 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 their heads, but that we share in life and they share in our life together. Well, the same is true in our relationship with God. The goal is not just knowledge. The goal is not just information. Okay, we talked about that last week, how when Jesus appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he gave them information. He talked to them about the scriptures. He revealed mysteries, but they still didn't get it. They still didn't, even though he, he made all the connections. It wasn't until they participated in him, till they partook of the divine nature through the breaking of bread and the sharing of the Eucharist. That's when they got it. So for us, the sacraments are more than just, again, empty rituals. For us, they are the keys to the kingdom that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 16. They are an intersection between heaven and earth. They are our chance to connect with the almighty God and to participate in his life here on earth. So what we're doing in this series, every week, we're going to look at a different sacrament. We're going to go through them one by one, and we're going to try to understand not just the historical and the biblical roots of them, but more importantly, where is Christ in each of the sacraments? And we're going to start today with the one that is probably the most hotly contested of all the sacraments. We're going to start with priesthood. But before we do, have you ever noticed, okay, an observation, have you ever noticed that we as human beings, as a society, I don't know if it's today more than ever, I kind of feel like it is, but I kind of feel like it's also human nature. Have you noticed that we really like extremes? That the middle road is kind of an extinct thing, that we generally gravitate towards extremes. For example, I'll give you some examples. I don't know one person, I don't know one person who has a moderate view of our president. I know people who love him. I know people who hate him. I know people who will tell you that he's the best we've ever had. I know people who tell you that he's the worst that he's, we've ever had. And oftentimes it's in the same house. I know people who will tell you that he is a gift from above. I know people who will tell you that he is a gift from the downstairs department, okay, the basement, okay, of the eternal realms. We don't like middle ground. We tend to gravitate towards extremes. When it comes to sports, okay, I spoke last week about Michael Jordan, about how I'm enjoying the Last Dance series. I know a lot of people are enjoying it as well. When it comes to sports, it's not enough to say Michael Jordan's the best. 
Okay, let's say you say Michael Jordan's the best. It's not enough. In order to say Michael Jordan's the best, we have to say Kobe Bryant was the worst. LeBron James is the worst. These new guys these days, basketball stinks these days. It's not like it used to be. In order for us to say something is good, we have to gravitate toward the other extreme and say that is bad. Give you another example. Okay, go online, listen to the news, go on social media, read what people are saying about this whole coronavirus and the shutdown and when do we go back to work and when we open up. You will find two extremes. You will find some people who will tell you, worst decision we've ever made in the history of humanity was to shut down the nation like this. And then you will find people right after them and tell you the exact opposite extreme, that, that it, it was the biggest mistake was not doing it sooner. We like extremes. And what we usually do is we gravitate towards one of two options. In our minds, there's only two options. It's either A or B. There's very often or very seldom is there a middle ground. So the more I believe in A, the more I have to hate B. And the more that I hate B, the more I believe in A. And we kind of gravitate towards those extremes. And if we're honest, okay, if we're doing some serious soul searching here, oftentimes our position is determined more by what we are against than what we are for. So it's not that we love A so much, it's that we hate B so much. <clears throat> it's not that we, for example, <clears throat> it's not that we love the Republican Party, but we just hate the Democrats. It's not that we love Democratic ideology, but we hate Republican ideology. It's not that we love Michael Jordan. In fact, when he was playing, we barely even watched him. But man, we can't stand LeBron James. And we can't stand how he goes to the finals and he beats our team year after year. So therefore, we have to, in order to, 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 to uh, express my aversion to him, I have to, to like and l express my love for the other person that much more. We see two choices. And our dislike of one pushes us towards the other. C.S. Lewis, Lewis said it this way in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, he, the devil, always sends errors into the world in pairs. He sends errors in pairs, pairs of opposites. He relies on your extra dislike of one to draw you gradually into the opposite one. <clears throat> you may be asking yourself, what in the world does this have to do with the sacraments and the resurrection? When it comes to the sacraments, specifically priesthood, but it applies across the board. Some of us have been burned by a priest, been burned by priesthood, been hurt by it. And I meet people like this all the time. Some people have seen priests abuse, okay, abuse of the priesthood, whether that's physical abuse or sexual abuse or just kind of abuse of power, just kind of a power trip or just kind of like a, a sense of arrogance or a sense of I'm infallible or you know how priests are trained in the ability to make you feel guilty, okay, if you don't do what they want to do. Some people have been really hurt by that and really burned by that. And because of that, they, could be you, have developed an aversion to priesthood. And they would say, rightly so, a priest is not God. You say, that's right. Say a priest is just a man. That's right. A priest can make mistakes, absolutely. But the truth is, the devil doesn't leave you there. Everything I just said, the priest is just a man, priest can make mistakes, priest not God, those are all true, but the devil will never leave you there. He will push you to the extreme, push you as far away from that middle ground as you can, and he will tell you, say, priesthood is not something that's from God, it's a man-made thing. And it came because men were corrupt and wanted power. And all priests are corrupt, and all priests care about his money, and all priests don't, don't care about you. And it pushes you to the extreme. Then you have the opposite. You have someone who defends the priesthood and someone who believes in the priesthood and grew up in a church where the priests were good and the priests were holy and the priests were ordained by God and the priest was great. And this person has an aversion to anyone who disagrees. 
So this person goes out of his way to push his position to the extreme. So he goes to the point of saying, you know what, not just the priest is holy, not just the priest is a man of God, not just the priesthood is a good thing, but to say, you know what, without the priesthood, we can't pray. The priest is the only one who can pray. Priest is the only one who can open the Bible and teach us. The priest is all about the priest, and we just have to blindly obey the priest, and it's all about the priest, and the priest, and the priest, and the priest, and the priest. And I'm telling you that both extremes are wrong and equally as dangerous. Someone once said that any heresy, any false teaching, is simply a truth taken out of proportion. And the same is clearly seen here with the priesthood and all the sacraments, but specifically we'll focus in on the priesthood. So as we start this series together and start this discussion on the priesthood, I'm going to ask everyone to lay aside our biases. We need to lay aside our biases because I know that the sacraments, and again, the priesthood in particular, oftentimes elicits a strong response, either positive or negative. We've either been burned by it or burned by the haters of it, okay? And we have an aversion towards the people who speak against it. We're going to put all that aside. We're going to take an objective look at the sacrament of priesthood. Where did it come from and what is it? The verse where the institution of priesthood came from, where priesthood started, okay, we can look at John chapter 20, which is after the resurrection, okay, the same uh, passage where Jesus rose in the more in the beginning part of John 20, John chapter 20, verse 21 to 23. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, so Jesus, or says, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the father has sent me, I also send you. There's ascending here, okay? There's kind of an ordination. There's a calling to a mission. He's saying that I have so many people who love me and so many people who follow me, but you guys, you 12, I have a specific mission for you. I'm setting you aside to go do something. He goes on. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit for if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. We would say that the sacrament of, of priesthood was instituted right here by Jesus in John chapter 20. It's not a man-made invention. It's not something that came when the church was weak and the church was looking for power, the church was corrupt or anything like that. Priesthood came from that breath where it says Jesus breathed on them. Jesus did something, okay? He gave them something, something tangible. He breathed on them and when he did that, he said, I'm giving you the ability to do something which no one else has. He said, what? He says, you can forgive sins and you can retain sins. Now, let me ask you a question. Who on earth can retain sins? Okay, even one time when, when Jesus healed the paralyzed man, he said he forgives his sins. And people said, who can forgive sins except God alone? Who can forgive sins? Only God. But God has given this gift to certain people to retain sins and to lose sins. And that is the gift of priesthood. That is the sharing of the divine life. That is an intersection between heaven and earth. That is something that man cannot do, that I cannot do, and you cannot do, and nobody can do. But God has given that ability to certain people, first to his apostles, okay, through that breath. And then what happened, okay, Jesus breathed in the face of his apostles and his disciples, and he gave that priesthood to them. And we would say that one of them, one of his followers, okay, was, okay, all the apostles, but specifically St. Mark, the evangelist, the one who wrote the second gospel, he carried that breath, that divine breath, that priesthood with him, and he came into the land of Egypt. And when he came into Egypt, he ordained successors. And he gave that same breath to, to, to his successor, who ordained someone after him, who ordained someone after him, who ordained someone after him, who ordained someone after him. And you keep on going down the line, 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 till you get to yours truly right here, receive that same breath, 
from His Holiness Pope Shenouda, okay, who has since departed. The same breath that I got from Pope Shenouda was one that he got from someone who got it from someone who got it from someone who got it from someone from someone from someone from someone from someone from St. Mark from Jesus himself. And all the Orthodox churches that way. Okay, some okay uh, kind of uh, trace their their lineage to St. Thomas. Some trace it to St. Peter. Some trace it to, to St. James. Okay, but the bottom line is they all come back to one source, and that is Jesus and this breath that he gave to his disciples. So we would say that the priesthood is the sacrament of Christ's presence on this earth. The priesthood is not a picture of Christ on earth. It's not an image of Christ, but we believe that the priesthood is Christ himself on this earth, acting and working. Because I, as a priest, do not have the ability to give new life through water of baptism. Only Christ can do that. But Christ does it through me. I do not have the ability to forgive sins. I don't have the ability to take water, I'm sorry, to, to turn bread into body and water and wine into blood. I don't have the ability to make two into one. Only Christ can do that. But Christ does it through the priest, started with this breath and continued on through the ages in the same way. That's why I'm starting with priesthood. Because as we're going to go through the sacraments, you would say, why start with priesthood? Like, why not start with baptism and kind of work your way up? Priesthood is usually seen as one at the end. But to me, if you don't understand priesthood, you don't accept priesthood, the rest of them aren't going to make any sense because all the rest of the sacraments are what God does through the priesthood. So if you're not sold on priesthood and you don't understand it, you're going to struggle with the rest. But if you can get this concept, if you can get this idea that God is working in the church today through the priest, it's going to make the rest of the discussion a lot easier. <clears throat> now, let's take a step back, okay? I kind of threw a lot at you. Let's take a step back and kind of unpack it. First, let's start with the most common objections to priesthood, okay? You know, there's some people out there who don't like the word priest, don't like the word father for sure. They say, you know, we're all the same and we're all priests together and there's no such thing as ranks and priesthood and all that stuff. And most of them would take a verse like Matthew 23, verse 9, and base their argument on that, okay? Matthew 23, 9, Jesus says, Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. So, I mean, that's about as cut and dry as it gets, right? So do not call anyone father. And then here comes me, and I say, call me father. Okay, call me Father Anthony. Is it that simple? The verse says, do not call anyone father. I tell you to call me father. So therefore, we're doing something wrong. Maybe not. Okay, I'm going to say something right now, and I'm going to ask you to just bear with me as I explain it, because I'm going to put it up there, and you're going to be inclined to say, heresy, heresy. Okay, the guy's gone out of his mind. But just stick with me here, okay, and we'll see if we, we can agree on this truth together. And that is this. But not every verse applies to everyone. Not every verse applies to everyone. Sounds heretical, but I promise you, you already agree with this statement, even though you may have never said it. Let me give you some examples. I'm going to show you some examples of verses in the Bible, which you believe in and you believe they're authentic, but you don't believe that they apply to you. Okay, ready? I'll just give you three examples. First, Luke 131. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. That verse does not apply to me. I am never going to have a child in my womb. And if I did, well, that's never going to happen. Okay? <laughs> and, and if you are out there listening to this message, this verse only applied to one person in the history of the world. So if you're out there and you're pregnant, 
No need to call the baby Jesus. This is not a message from God saying call him Jesus. In fact, I strongly encourage you not to call your baby Jesus because it's going to be hard to yell at him okay, when the inevitable um, mischievous ha behavior happens if his name is Jesus. So just don't call him Jesus. This verse does not apply to you and you know that intuitively. Let me give you a second verse. Hosea 1-2. <laughs> when the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of har harlotry and children of harlotry. <laughs> so harlotry, harlot means a prostitute. And what God is saying here, that what the verse is saying, the verse is saying, go take a wife who is a prostitute. Now look, single people, single guys. <laughs> okay, I know times may be tough these days. Okay, and I know maybe with the quarantine is not helping your, your, your game. Okay, but do not apply this verse. This verse does not apply to you. This verse does not apply in the least. It only applied to one person in the history of the world. Do not apply this verse. Not every verse is for everyone. Third one, this is for all the parents out there. <laughs> all the parents, okay, who are at home with the kids and loving, loving, loving the extra time all day, every day with the kids and just woof. This is a verse that is not for you. Genesis 22.2. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. <laughs> that verse is not for you, parents. Okay? As much as you may read it and say, yes, fine, thank you, God. No, that verse is not for you. That verse is not for you. And as much as you want to make Abraham your new patron saint because of this verse, <laughs> this verse is not for you because not every verse is for everyone. And again, you know this. When God told Joshua to invade the land of Canaan and make war, that verse is not for you. That's for him. When God told Noah to build an ark, that verse is not for you. That's for him. When God told Noah to go walk in the middle of the sea and don't worry, it's going to part. Don't worry, you'll be okay. Just trust me. Just go through the sea. That verse is not for you. Certain verses apply to certain people and not across the board. And the disciples, the listeners of Jesus in the first century, they understood this because this is just so common sense. This is so intuitive. That's why at one point in time, St. Peter says this, when Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 12, and he's giving all these teachings, Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? Because Peter got it. There's certain things that are for us, certain things that are for everyone, certain things for the Pharisees, certain things for the Sadducees, like certain things to certain people. This is, this is intuitive. Look, if you walk into my house, and you hear me say, um, you're welcome in this house anytime. Or then you walk another time and you say, or you hear me say, um, you know, whatever I have is yours. That verse may apply, or that, that statement may apply to my children, who I'm saying that to, but it doesn't apply to my neighbor. Or you may another time come in and, and hear me say, don't call me back. And you say, that verse may apply to the telemarketer, but it doesn't apply to my wife. Not everything that everyone says applies to everyone. This is common sense. It's intuitive. But somehow, when it comes to the Bible, again, we have our agendas. And we know what we want to prove. And it, I, I told you this before. I can find you. Tell me what your agenda is. I will find you a Bible verse to prove it. But if we take an objective look at the Scripture, take an objective look at the early church, the people who heard the words of Jesus when he said, do not call anyone father. It'd be very clear, very clear, crystal clear that when he said that, he was saying to them, you apostles, you guys, you don't call anyone father. 
Because that whole passage, we'll see in a minute, that whole passage, Jesus is telling them that those guys, those Pharisees guys, the institution, the guys who are in power, that everyone calls them rabbi, everyone calls them father. You don't be like them, okay? You're not like them. You don't report to them. You don't listen to them. I'm commissioning you. You don't call them teacher. You don't call them father. You guys are the fathers. You guys are going to be the ones that are going to lead this thing. And you don't need to report to them or appease them or look to them anymore because they are coming to an end, and what I'm doing in you is about to begin. Let's look at that whole passage. It's kind of a long passage, okay? But again, just to get the context of it, because you can't just take one verse out of context when Jesus said, do not call anyone father. Let's read the whole context here. Okay, this is from Matthew 23. We'll read from verse 4 to verse 12. And he's contrasting the Pharisees, kind of the old regime, the old guard, with what he is trying to do with the apostles and what he's instituting their priesthood. He says, they... They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves not move, move them with one of their fingers. He's saying they are difficult, and they just make people's life miserable. But that's not going to be the way with you. But all their works, they do to be seen by men. Again, not with you, contrasting the two. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and they love to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. See how he's talking straight about them and saying, don't be, you're not going to be like them. I'm telling you, this is how they are. This is who they were. And I'm telling you, you are not going to be like them. The contrast is clear. You do not be called rabbi. That's what they want. They want to be called rabbi. You do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. And you do not call anyone else your father. Stop calling them your father. For one is your father. He who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers. For one is your teacher, the Christ. He's telling them, stop looking at them, okay? And look to me. I'm the one who's commissioning you guys. And then it's very clear right here, okay? He, this is a, the second time he said the same passage, the, the same verse in another passage. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. It is clear that Jesus was not coming to abolish the priesthood. He actually was coming to give it new meaning. He wasn't coming to get rid of priesthood. He was coming to tell them how it's supposed to be done, the right way, the true intention of it. And in fact, this is his whole ministry. Priesthood was started in the Old Testament by God himself. It was instituted by God. It wasn't by man. Okay, man wanted certain things like kings, but priest was something instituted by God from the very start. And God instituted it to last. The difference is that when he came in the New Testament, when Jesus came, he came to give the, give the proper understanding of what it's supposed to look like. Just like in the Old Testament, they had certain principles, they had eye for eye. And Jesus came and said, well, actually the fulfillment, the new meaning is love your neighbor, okay, and love your enemy and love one another as I have loved you. So he took it to a new level. Same thing. They said, you know, you're not allowed to commit adultery. He said, actually, new level. You're not supposed to look after another woman lustfully. They said, you're not supposed to murder. Took it to a new level. Said, actually, you're not supposed to be angry. Jesus wasn't against priesthood or fatherhood. Jesus was against the abuse of it or the misunderstanding of it or the incorrect understanding of what priesthood and fatherhood truly is. So with that said, let's jump now to the positive side. What is priesthood? What is the proper understanding of the sacrament of priesthood? You know, I'll be honest, I struggled with this one because of all the sacraments, this is the one that's probably hardest to define. So I'm gonna give you a definition right now. And then like I said, we'll break it down and try to understand it. Okay, we may get a little bit philosophical right here, but 
You're smart enough to, to, to understand this, so stick with me. Priesthood is the sacrament of Christ's presence in his church. Priesthood is the sacrament of Christ's presence in his church. Let's take a step back. There's one priest in Christianity. There's one true priest, and that is the great high priest, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the one who was ordained, who was sent, who was commissioned to come and offer the sacrifice. Okay, that's what a priest does. Okay, a priest is a servant. The word priest doesn't mean anything fancy. Okay, it doesn't mean anything necessarily even Christian. Okay, like the pagan temples had priests, like the servants of the temple. Okay, or uh, the, the Jewish temple had priests. So priest just means the people who are serving. Okay, or the, the ones who are, are, are ordained to do a job. Jesus was the one who was ordained. Jesus was the one who was sent. Jesus is the one who was commissioned to come to this earth and offer a sacrifice on behalf of all humanity. And that sacrifice was his own flesh and blood on the cross on the Mount Calvary. No one can do what Jesus did. Okay, I as a priest cannot do what Jesus did. No one, no bishop, no pope, no nobody can do what Jesus did. Jesus is the true priest. He is the only one who can forgive sins. He is the only one who can give new life in baptism. He is the only one who can unite two into one flesh. No one else can do that. Jesus is the only priest. However, as we spoke about last week, Jesus is alive today. He is risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. And he is working. He's not taking five. He's not resting. He's not sitting back somewhere, just kind of kicking back and, and enjoying his time. Jesus is working just as much, if not more, than he was when he was on this earth 2,000 years ago. In fact, when he was on this earth 2,000 years ago, he was limited to a certain group, a certain ethnicity, a certain culture, a certain city. But now he works everywhere across the universe, okay, at all times and in all places. He healed people before, he's still healing. He blessed marriage before, he's still blessing marriage. He forgave sins before, he's still forgiving. He breathed in the face of his disciples and gave them the authority to forgive sins and to, and to bind sins. And he still does the exact same thing today. The only difference, listen carefully, the only difference is the tool or the vehicle he is using to do those things. The work is the same, the vehicle is different. Back then, the vehicle was his own flesh and blood, his own body. Today, the vehicle is still his own body, but his body in the sense of the church. And specifically, he is doing all those things through the vehicle of priesthood. Now, I realize that again, you grew up, you didn't grow up in church. This is a tough concept. You grew up in a church that taught you, don't you dare listen to anyone who calls himself a priest. Don't you dare listen to anyone who says that he represents Christ on earth. Don't you dare listen to anyone who says that he has the power. We are all equal. We are all brothers, okay? Okay, don't you dare listen to anyone who says that. I get it. I get it. I get it. I am not arguing and saying that a priest is above or a priest is better. All I am saying is that a priest is a servant. A priest is a tool. A priest is a vehicle, and God has chosen this vehicle to convey his grace upon humanity today. It's his choice. It's not my choice. God is the one, and God does not have to explain his choice to us. It has always been the way God works 
that God likes to be incarnational, that God likes to work in man and through man in tangible, touchable ways. Sounds strange? Well, let me give you a verse from the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1, and then we'll try to understand how that applies to this sacrament. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. So what the verse is saying is that in various times and in various ways, God spoke to people in different ways. This makes sense. When God wanted to speak to, speak to people who spoke Aramaic, he spoke Aramaic. When God wanted to speak to people who understood Hebrew, he spoke Hebrew. God spoke through the law. He spoke through the prophets. He spoke through uh, uh, the, the scriptures. He spoke through his son. God speaks in various ways. It's not up to me to tell him how to speak. It's up to me to listen to how he is speaking in the world today. Examples of how God likes to be touchable, tangible, incarnational. When God wanted to choose a home to dwell in, when God wanted to choose a home to dwell in on this earth, he chose the womb of a virgin, a virgin Mary. He came into this world. Okay, she was the very first altar, the very first throne of God. Okay, she was the first sanctuary. Did God need to come into the world through a womb? Did God need to come through pregnancy? Couldn't he have just come? Couldn't he just show up? Couldn't he just come as a man? Did God need to come as a baby? Did God need to come as a, you know, a, an embryo in the womb and, and develop over the course of nine months? Did God need to do that? Of course not. But that's what God likes to do. He likes to come in forms that we get. We don't get God descending to earth. We get baby in the womb of a mother coming through just the same way that we are. We get, we get a, a baby who is you know, in the womb at, at, at one month, two months, three months, four months, and then eventually comes out and grows and gets bigger and gets taller. That's what we get. So that's how God chose to speak to us. When God wanted to talk to us about how he feeds us, he chose to use bread. It's not bread of life. He didn't need to. He could just say, I'm your nourishment. But we, we wouldn't get that. So he gave us bread. The bread isn't anything fancy, but he said, I want you to understand this. So here's bread. When he wanted to teach us his healing, he touched people. Why did he touch people? Couldn't Jesus just say, you are healed? And sometimes he did. But oftentimes he touched, why he touched the leper? Why he touched the dead person? Why? Because Jesus wanted to be touchable, tangible, incarnational. That's what a good teacher does. A good teacher speaks the language of his audience. A good teacher, a good teacher, I know we got a lot of good teachers in our church family here. A good teacher does not teach the same way to a two-year-old as a four-year-old, as a six-year-old, as an eight-year-old. A good teacher customizes his lesson or her lesson based on the audience and what they can handle. The sacraments are a visible manifestation of the work of God and the grace of God, of an invisible reality in a way that we can understand them. All the sacraments are something invisible, but invisible doesn't mean, doesn't mean symbolic, okay? It's real, but invisible. It's real, but invisible. All the sacraments are that way. Kind of like my brain, okay? My brain is invisible to you. You cannot see it with your naked eye, but you have a, one, if you go to a, a hospital or you have a, a tool, a scanning tool, whatever it may be, you can stick that tool inside my, or on top of my head 
and you can see my brain. So what is invisible to us today, if I had the right tool, would become visible. Sacraments are the same way. We don't see it. We just see bread. We just see water. We just see a priest is just a guy who looks like me, but he's got a beard and a funny outfit. But we don't see it. But if we had the proper tool, we would see that in this, in this visible reality, which doesn't seem that great, okay, is an invisible reality. This is simply a visible manifestation of an invisible reality. And the priesthood is a visible manifestation of the presence of God in his church today. I want to get you some quotes right here, in case you don't trust what I'm saying, from a great priest who departed, okay, who passed away uh, probably four or five years ago. His name is Father Thomas Hopko. He was an Eastern Orthodox priest who was the dean of St. Vladimir's, um, seminary and, and he was a great theologian. Just honestly, I started listening to his podcast a few years before he passed away and I, I was hooked. Okay. You can find him on ancient faith radio. Um, up until his very end of his life, he was doing those podcasts. Um, he was a great man who taught, who taught us some great things. And what I loved about him was the simplicity with which he made complicated things. Okay. Complicated things. He made them simple. Let me give you some quotes right here. Stick with me. They're kind of long, but they're so good. He said, priesthood, is the sacrament of Christ's presence in the church. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Priesthood is Christ in the church today. It is the mystery of the presence of the head and bridegroom with his body and his bride and all the fullness of his messianic presence and power. Okay, that's very nice. It is the mystery of the presence of the head with the body, the bridegroom with the bride and all his power, with all the fullness of grace and truth of the eternal life. Jesus Christ is present in the church as its head and husband, king and lord, priest and pastor, prophet and teacher, reconciler and healer. Jesus is present today, not symbolically, not represented by, not a delegate for him. No, no, no. Priest is not a delegate for. Priest is the presence of Christ in the church today. The realization and manifestation of his presence is the sacrament of the ordained clergy, which is an essential element of the one great mystery, Christ and the church. What he's saying right here, he's saying just like, okay, just like the bread, okay? When we see bread, we know that it's not just bread. We know that it is Christ, okay? When we go to Eucharist, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks. When we see the bread, we know it's not just bread. It's Christ. When we see the priest, we should see Christ as well. That it's not just the priest. Now, obviously, as a priest myself, okay, you may be thinking to yourself, Hold on here, Father Anthony. Okay, you, you're tooting your own horn here a little bit too much. You think kind of highly of yourself here. And you might say, a priest is just a human being. A priest makes mistakes. A priest sins. A priest says bad jokes, like all those things. And I would say, absolutely. I am not denying any of those things and never will I ever claim anything otherwise. A priest is just a man. But that's the mystery of the sacrament. The bread that becomes the Eucharist is just bread. And sometimes it's burnt. Sometimes it's raw. Sometimes it's crunchy. Sometimes it's, so, it's soggy. It's just bread. But the mystery is that it becomes the body. The wine is just wine. Okay, you get it for, you know, we get it on sale from wherever. Okay, in batches. It's just wine. But the mystery is that it, it's the blood of Christ. The water is just water. But it's not just water. It's water for new life. 
Said another way, it's not the substance itself that makes something sacramental. It's what's inside of it or what's carried by it. And the same is true with the priest. The church, just like the priest, okay, let's start with the church and we'll go to the priest. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the body of Christ. The church is everything that God is in a human body, okay? In a body, a collection of people. But those collection of people are not perfect. Some of them lie, some of them steal, some of them gossip, some of them murder. But it's still the fullness of God in an imperfect shell. Same way when Jesus was on earth, he was perfect God in an imperfect shell, in a human body that dies, that bled, that gets hungry, that gets tired. Perfect God, imperfect shell. Same with the priesthood. Perfect God in a very flawed and weak shell. I'll give you another quote from Father Thomas Hopko. For the priesthood is not a profession, a job, or a way of self-fulfillment and personal holiness. It is a sacrament of the church, in and for the church, of him who is the church's only pastor and priest, its head and its husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, all will agree that the bearer of this sacrament should be holy and talented, meaning that like, not just anyone should do it, that we should select people who are, you know, who have certain qualifications. However, this is the important part, the holiness and the gifts are included within the sacrament. And the sacrament is not dependent on the sanctity and skills of its bearer. The sacrament comes with the qualifications, okay? You don't bring it with you, okay? It comes with the sacrament. For this reason, no person can claim the office of priesthood on the basis of professional qualifications or personal holiness. Imagine. Imagine I wanted to give you a lot of money. Okay, you know our, 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 our nation just passed this, uh, this, uh, this bill with the $2.2 trillion. Okay, so the thought of $2.2 trillion just, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm, I, I'm imagining that, you know, just a lot of like $100 bills, just like suitcases and suitcases. Like, I don't know where it comes. Like when someone says, we passed $2.2 trillion. Like, where is it? Is it like in a truck somewhere? Like the armored trucks? Is it like 15 of them? $100 bills? Is there 20s or ones? I don't know how it is. Okay, is there like a, a million dollar bill? Because you need a lot of those. Anyway, let's say I got a truck or, or suitcases or trucks of $2.2 trillion. But they're in a car that's kind of dirty. And the car's kind of dusty. And there's spiders in the car. And when the suitcase comes out, it's got, you know, spiders or maybe, you know, ant poop on there or, or whatever it may be. It's still $2.2 trillion, right? It's still infinitely, val or 2.2... It's a very, very, very valuable, right? It's still not something that you'd say, no, 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 no. I don't like the look of that suitcase. Get rid of it. Uh, I don't like the way that mailman kind of sneezed on it. Are you kidding me? I, if you tell me that the entire coronavirus was on top of that suitcase right there, man, we'd jump on that thing to get that $2.2 trillion if it was in there. Because simply the car, the suitcase, is just the vehicle to deliver the goods. The priest is just a vehicle. The priest is just a vehicle to deliver what God wants to deliver to his people. The issue is not my worthiness as a priest. No one is worthy. The issue is what God wants to do through that vehicle. Some examples. I think of Elijah in the Old Testament. Stood on top of that mountain and called fire down from heaven. Elijah called fire down from heaven on top of Mount Carmel, okay? In 1 Kings chapter 18, I believe, or 17, 18, I think. 
called Fire Down from Heaven. Was Elijah a perfect person? No. In fact, just one chapter later, Elijah is struggling and he's doubting and he's weak in his faith. But God used Elijah to call down fire from heaven in the same way God uses a priest who is weak, a priest who has mistakes, a priest who has sins, to call down, not that fire. Elijah called fire. A priest doesn't call fire. A priest calls the Holy Spirit down from heaven to sanctify bread and wine, to, to unite two into one, to turn the water into water of eternal life. God used David, okay, who had all kinds of problems. Okay, he had adultery, he had lying, he had murder, all kinds of problems. God used David to shepherd his people. And the same way God uses sinful priests to shepherd his people, to shepherd his church today. God used Peter, who at one point denied him three times on the night when Jesus needed his best friend so much. Peter denied him. But Christ used that same Peter to preach the gospel to 3,000 people. And 3,000 people were converted that day in the same way God uses priests who are weak and sinful to preach his word and to touch people's heart today. Said another way, it is less about the tool and more about the one who holds the tool. It's less about the hammer and it's more about the carpenter in whose hands the hammer is. The priest is simply a vehicle, a tool. God is the one who is using it to accomplish his will. That's why St. Paul says this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4. It says, no man takes this honor, meaning priesthood. No man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. No man takes his honor to himself. It is something entrusted by God to the priest, to the entire church. The priesthood is a gift not to me or to, to any person. The priesthood is a gift to the church from God. It is his presence in his church. Now, last thing. I can't, as I'm preparing this message, okay, and delivering a message on priesthood, I can't help but go back to a certain day in November 2001. November 2001 was the day that this happened. Okay, it was the day that I was ordained as a priest at the hand, like I said, of His Holiness, Pope Shenouda III. As back in 2001, so I finished more than 18 years of priesthood, okay? 18 years of priesthood, which means I'm no more a minor priest, okay? I am an adult priest, okay? And I can do adult things. And I'm looking forward to, you know, a couple years from now when I hit 21 years of priesthood, then, you know, maybe they'll tell me where they keep the communion wine or give me the key or something like that, or I don't know, okay, when I'm... Anyway, what happened? What happened there when I was ordained as a priest? What is this? Is this just a new job? Is this just a, 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 a change in my, my title? Is this just like a new uniform? Or is there more? Did I receive something this day which, as invisible as it might be, certainly is real and tangible and sacramental? Two things happened on this day, and you can see one of them right here. The other one I couldn't find a good picture of. Two things happened to me on, on, on that November day in 2001. Number one is hands were laid on me. Hands were laid on me by Pope Shenouda right there. And you see right there, he's laying hands. Another thing that you, again, I didn't get the picture, was he breathed in me. Okay, at a certain point in time, he said, open your mouth, and he breathed that breath inside me. And when those two things happened, something real took place. Something real took place. Again, invisible, but real. And what took place is I was given a gift 
Not a gift for me, but a gift for the church, okay? Not a gift for me. Of course, it is a gift, and it's an honor for me. But what I'm saying is it's not because, you know what? I like that nice guy. Let's give him something good. No, no, no. It is God's gift to the church. It's an honor no one is worthy of. It is not because I was worthy. It is because he is good and because he wants to be present and he wants to be real and incarnational in his church today. He gave me that gift of priesthood. And through that gift of priesthood, just like he gave it to his disciples in John chapter 20, the ability to forgive sins, the ability to, to retain sins, the ability that two become one, the ability that bread can become his body and his flesh. You see a priest, you see flawed, you see mistakes, you see sinful. No one denies that. No one claims otherwise. But what you also can't deny is that it's through that same priest, that same tool, no matter how uh, tarnished or flawed it may be, it's through that same tool that God has chosen to give his very body and his blood to the church today. Last quote from Father Thomas Hopko. It is the sacrament of Christ's abiding presence. Okay, he's talking about priesthood. It is the sacrament of Christ's abiding presence in the church as its husband and head, priest and pastor, prophet and teacher, master and Lord, forgiver, reconciler, and healer. That's all the priesthood. Okay, it's through that that Christ, the husband, the head, the priest, the pastor, the prophet, the teacher, the master, the Lord, the forgiver, the reconciler, and the healer. It is the mystery within the great mystery of Christ in the church, which guarantees, listen to what he says, which guarantees the objective presence of salvation in the body, for it guarantees the objective presence of the Savior. The priesthood <clears throat> is the presence of Christ in the church. As he is the head, as he is the Lord, as he is the forgiver, as he is the reconciler, as he is the healer, as he is all those things, he is them through the vehicle of priesthood. Next week, we're going to start to look at different sacraments. Okay, we'll look at baptism, we'll look at Eucharist, we'll look at confession, all those different things. But all those things are meaningless unless you're with me on the priesthood. That the priesthood, that I'm sorry, that all those sacraments are not a man doing them. It's not, let me convince you that I can forgive your sins or let me convince you that I can turn bread into body. No, 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 no. That's why you must start by understanding that the priesthood is the presence of Christ in his church today. And if Christ is present, <laughs> bread becoming body, that's no problem. Two becoming one, no problem. Sick becoming healed, sinful becoming forgiven. All those things are no problem because of Christ's presence with us in the church. Let's stand together and say a prayer. <clears throat> in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you of the gift of priesthood that you provided us, Lord, a tangible presence in the church that we don't have to just kind of guess if you're with us or hope that you're with us, but we know, Lord, that we have a visible manifestation of your presence with us. And through that visible manifestation, Lord, the keys of the kingdom are made available to us. And the gates of heaven are open to us, Lord, and that we can abide in them. We thank you, Lord, for this gift, and we pray that you would help us to take full advantage of it and to realize more and more about the depth of what you've given to us inside the church. We pray this in the name of your Son, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints here, as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.